conquer national strife, to face our insecurities, to face development. Everything we will ever need to know is encapsulated within these six weeks. Because what happens on a national level, we go from tragedy to freedom. We evolve from being a people that are completely immersed in material to becoming spiritual beings also. We go from only being concerned about our own safety and our own, and our own ability to survive and, and to thrive and moving from that into this relationship that we're going to have with this being we call God. What is that? These six weeks encapsulate everything you will ever need to know. At any time, a person is struggling in any form of area, there's a challenge, whether it's individual or whether it's familial or communal, then if you don't look back at these six parashat, then we can't find the answer to whatever it is that we're searching for. So the Yemei Shavavim are a very powerful paradigm that we have as a tool to look back to, to reach into, to say, I need to find an answer, I need to find a solution, I need to find inspiration, I need to find guidance, and all of that is embedded within these six weeks. It's a very, very powerful time of year. It's a powerful time of year to think about and introspect on who we are as individuals, who we are and what's our commitment to each other, what's our commitment to God. These six weeks are a very powerful time to revisit those questions. It's almost like a mini Rosh Hashanah. It's a mini, mini new year that we have in these six weeks because it's a, new, it's a new opportunity as we become a nation, as we become a Jewish people, as we become the Am, as we become the nation. It's very interesting because the word in Hebrew, the word yachid, anybody know what the word yachid means in Hebrew? Singular. What does the word yachad mean? Interesting, huh? It's actually comprised of the exact same shorash, the exact same root word. So there's something about my individual experience that's also part of the collective, and there's also something that's part of the collective that is important and that is monumental in my individual experience, and both work in conjunction with each other. So yachad and yachid, all of those ideas are embedded and are almost like secret formulas that are embedded within these six weeks. So there's, there's a commandment that we get in this week's Torah portion. And if you would guess, God says, okay, and I'm taking you up as Yah with an outstretched arm with these amazing plagues and miracles. What's the first commandment God would give to the Jewish people as a nation? Okay, excellent. We'll come back to that answer. Is that the best one? What is Rosh Chodesh? It's a new month, right? It's a new month, so we have we have the Hebrew months. It's like, that's it? God, you got everything else? How about Shabbat? How about kosher? How about family purity? How about how about the laws of tzedakah, of charity? How about the laws of pidyon shibuyim, which is releasing someone who's captive? There aren't other laws, there aren't other things that could possibly motivate the Jewish people a little bit more, so here they are, it's my, right? You think about Let's put this whole show on Broadway for a second, right? And they're singing and dancing because everything in Broadway is done with the song. They're singing and dancing, and the Jewish people are coming out of the lands of Egypt, and God says, and here I give it to you. You have a moon. Okay, right? <laughs> it's a little anticlimactic. You're like, why are we doing this? There's a very powerful reason, and there's a very remarkable reason about why we celebrate Rosh Chodesh, why this was the first commandment given to the Jewish people as a nation, and what that means for the collective experience of the Jewish people. And there's something monumental in particular for women with regard to this. And we're going to do a little bit of a, a discovery and history overview and delve into some ideas about what this truly means for us as women, what this truly means for us as part of the collective experience of Am Yisrael. So take a look at the first source. Some Sefer Shemot, as we just said. So God says, This month shall be for you the head of months. To you it shall be the first of the months of the year. So again, we ask the question. Any thoughts? Why is it so important? Rosh Chodesh. 
What role does Rosh Chodesh play in Jewish practice and Jewish rituals? So we know that the Torah tells us that holidays are celebrated on the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month of Tishrei is, is Yom Kippur. On the fifteenth day of the month of Nisan is Passover. On the fifteenth day of the month of Tishrei is Sukkot. So the Torah tells us when these holidays take place. What's the role of Rosh Chodesh? Rosh Chodesh is when it is brought into the human realm. Because how is Rosh Chodesh identified? Does God say, and it's Rosh Chodesh today? No, that's not what happens. People come. Witnesses come, and they came to the Beitin, they would come to the high courts in the days of the temple, they would come to the high courts and say, I saw a new moon. And then the courts would discuss and say, yes, indeed, you saw a new moon. So actually, the beginning of the month is established not by God, but by who? By us, by human beings. This is the first introduction of the idea of partnership with God. It's not just about God telling us what to do, telling us where to be, telling us how to be, telling us what to think, telling us what to do. That's not what this is about at all. And if you think about the mentality and the psyche of this nation, that's all they know. They only know what they're told. They only know, get up at 5 a.m. and you need to be at that pyramid. Get up at this time and you need to do this. You have to be over here. That's all they know. That's a slave mentality. And God is saying, no, I'm giving you the power of time. What is it that a slave doesn't have? They're not bosses of their own time. They don't manage their own time. So the idea of freedom is not just opening a gate. It's saying that you are now responsible for your own time. And not only are you responsible for your own time, you have the opportunity to be mekadesh zman. You have the opportunity to sanctify time. How do we sanctify time? Through the establishment of Rosh Chodesh, that is when gives us the markers over the course of the year about when we celebrate these monumental moments throughout the year. So we know when Rosh Hashanah is because we know when Rosh Chodesh is. We know when Passover is because we know when Rosh Chodesh is. And when is Rosh Chodesh established? When we are involved. When we take a stand, not when someone else tells us. Shabbat, God says, rest on the seventh day because I rested on the seventh day. Done. God did it, so I'm going to do it. Not with, not, not with the holidays. Not with Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh is, I want to have an active part in my relationship with God, therefore I will participate. And when you become a participant, it's a game changer. Because you no longer, it's no longer a one-way street. We're introducing the idea of the two-way street. The other idea about time specifically, and why Rosh Chodesh is so monumental, is time is the only commodity that is available to every person exactly equal, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of any demographic, anything, any sociological, doesn't matter. None of that matters because time is equally distributed. Air isn't even equally distributed. Because the quality of air you'll find in different places in the world is different. But time is equally distributed, which means every person has the opportunity every single day to think about how they are maximizing their time, how they're maximizing down to the second. We don't necessarily have to get that granular, but down to the second, we are masters of our own time. And whether you have to be at work, yeah, you might be a slave to your job, right? You have to be at work at a certain time. How you choose to program that time, how you choose to approach that time, is all up to you. So the idea that God says you are a free people, it's not just that you're free. He's giving us the greatest gift known to mankind, which is the opportunity to program our own time, to put the frame of mind, to put the mentality of what, what time means. How do you sanctify time? How do you make this moment more relevant? How do you make it more internal? How do you make it more meaningful? That's what God is introducing to us, this idea of Rosh Chodesh. So it's, that, it's this commodity that's now available to all of us, number one. And number two, this is God's way of asking us to be an active partner. 
God doesn't want passive participation. God doesn't want to say, yep, do that. That's not what God wants. God wants an active partner. God wants us to get up and say, I saw the new moon. And guess what? Because I saw the new moon, in 15 days from now, it's going to be Passover. That's all mandated by man, not by God. So this is the first introduction. God's almost telling us, again, backhandedly or secretly, that he wants our involvement. He wants our participation. Because without that, this can't be. We will never unlock the potential of what we are capable of as a nation or what we are capable of as an individual if we don't realize that it is a two-way street. We speak to God all the time, and God speaks to us all the time. The question is whether we're tuned in, whether we're tuned in, whether we're zoned in to see what's really truly in front of us. And the idea of Rosh Chodesh on a monthly basis reminds us of that. That's remarkable. There's a point on our calendar that tells us to revisit our priorities, to revisit how we program our time, to revisit the things that are truly important to us, to revisit our priorities. There's a moment in every single calendar, in every single month, that reminds us of that opportunity to connect with God in a very, very deep, profound way, to revisit what it means to be free, to revisit what it means to be spiritually free, what does it mean to be emotionally free, psychologically free. And those questions are meant to come up on a monthly basis because that is our commitment to God. That's our commitment to ourselves. And that is all established as we become a nation, as we're unlocked with the power of this nation. Good question. Yeah, yeah, to say that like, before the Exodus, like in the times of the like, matriarchs and patriarchs, like, there was something lacking in like the two-way relationship between them and God if they didn't have this yet? Excellent question. The answer is yes. Because, and I'll, and I'll tell you, there, and there's two, two answers I'm going to give you. The first one is that Abraham had the most, we know, he was the founder of monotheism with Sarah. They were both founders of monotheism together. They were partners in that. They had a phenomenal relationship with God, but it was individual. There was no nation. So the power, it's actually interesting, there's a verse that we read in last week's Torah portion in Parshat Ba'ira that actually says that God says to Moses that he's going to reveal himself in the form of what's called as the tetragrammaton, which is the, the aspect of God, and I'll just use the word um, just, just in the context of learning, the word, the name Adonai is, is what's known as the tetragrammaton. And the tetragrammaton has a kind of a mercy and compassionate quality to it. So it's not that God has different, it's not, he, he, he's not like um, psychotic, right, schizophrenic, exactly. So, God, so we attribute human qualities to God because we're bound by language, we're finite, God is infinite, so there's already a natural separation. So we then attribute human qualities and characteristics. There's a dimension to God that God says to Moses, I'm going to bring this dimension of myself to the table now. Why? I've never been able to fully recognize my own potential because there wasn't a nation. So that God himself is bringing a new dimension of himself to the table because he can't realize it without the nation. He can realize it individually, you can, you can develop a certain amount individually, but all of a sudden you step into a different arena and God himself says, I'm gonna introduce an aspect to myself that no one has ever seen before because the purpose of creation and the purpose of the world is being realized at this moment and therefore God himself is unlocking potential. So we know that the individuals had very beautiful and wonderful relationships but the power of the nation together was, it could never, God is discovering just as much as the Jewish people are discovering. So it's so, it's so fascinating when you think about it, because it's literally, we're both walking hand in hand from separate directions. You think about the Olam HaElyon, so we're, you know, where God, where God lives, which is everywhere, but we think about God as being all spiritual, even though there are definitely physical manifestations. And we are all, we're all physical, we're all material. And what happens? The two of us are coming together on this road through the story of Egypt, and we meet together. And for the first time, God is able to unlock a dimension of himself that was never able to be realized because he didn't have a nation to celebrate with. 
So it's a very powerful, it's a very powerful idea that through that through the power of relationships, you unlock you unlock things in each other that you never knew were even possible, that you never even knew were there. And that's this powerful dimension that we see really come to a head in this week's Torah portion. Excellent question. Any other questions? Yes. So we have to work together. Not only is Hashem benefiting from us becoming spiritual, but we benefit because He allows us to not just be these physical creatures. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, um, you know, we're, again, we're material beings. If we learn that synergy of infusing spirituality into the material, we unlock potential that wouldn't be available otherwise. So all of a sudden you see this whole world that was never, that was never been there. I love giving, uh, talking about this analogy. So you have gravity, right? We're all bound by gravity. It's, mm, it's natural. Fine. We're all bound by gravity. What happens, um, obviously we're all going to take a ride on the Virgin Galactic, right? Okay, so about that fine. Okay. Um, so Sir Richard Branson's giving us a ride on the Virgin Galactic, right? What happens? All of a sudden, when you, it's the amount of pressure that you need for a rocket to ascend, is anybody a rocket expert before I make a total fool of myself? If I'm making stuff up, call me out on this. Fine. And this rocket, the rocket's going to go up at a certain point. You, I mean, there's certain, there's definitely elements of gravity that we see beyond, um, beyond just uh, the world itself, um, beyond Earth. But if you, once that rocket like goes through, is able to, to get through that energy that's holding it down, it's like it all of a sudden sails in a way that, because it's not bound by that, by that friction, by that, by that gravity anymore. You're not bound by those forces. The same thing with, with human beings and with our ability to be material or our ability to infuse something spiritual. Because if we're material, we're bound by what material is. All of a sudden you start to infuse spirituality in it and you start to infuse meaning and you infuse this idea of having this relationship, this profound two-way dynamic with God and which celebrates itself and manifests itself in the realm of community. Once you synergize that, you're not bound by gravity anymore. You're just, it's like you're, the world opens up to you in ways that weren't even possible because otherwise you've just been, it's not that it wasn't available, you didn't even know it was available because you're just, you're just bound by, by the forces that exist around you. So the same idea is that when, when a rocket is outside of the orbit of Earth, there's just, there's this like calm that sets in because you're just able to sail and you're not bound by gravity anymore. The same holds true for us as material beings or as physical beings, that when we're able to synergize both of those dimensions together, we're able to transcend spaces that we never even knew were possible. And that happens through our relationship with God. Excellent question. Question? No. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah. So, so you're saying though that God also gets uh, that from the relationship with us. Absolutely. And that's what, so it makes it very relatable, actually, mm-hmm. that there may not even be much of a difference. Oh, yeah, no, that's, exa- that's yeah. exactly right. It's coming from two different, two different perspectives, but we arrive, we arrive with the same, almost with the same mutuality that's, yeah, that's not something that is new. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. Perfect. Beautiful. Awesome. <laughs> so take it, um, excellent. Any other questions? So if you take a look at the next source, and I apologize, I don't have this in English, so I'll just, uh, I'll translate it. So it says, <laughs> So God gives a special Yom Tov, a special holiday to the women. What is it? God gives the women Rosh Chodesh. Why? Because they did not participate in the sin of the golden calf. Because when Aaron comes, and says to the women, take off your earrings, take off your jewelry. What did they do? They said, uh-uh, we're not participating. So what's this talking about? Let's take a look at the next source. 
and we'll kind of put a frame around what the situation was with the eagle, what the women actually did, and why why Rosh Chodesh. If we just talked about how Rosh Chodesh is meant to be this collective national experience with God, it's meant to be this moment where we actively as a nation participate in our relationship with God, then why is it rewarded for women? Why is this strictly associated with women? So let's take a look at the story. What happens? Moses goes up to Harsinai. How many days does he stay up there for? Anybody know? 40, awesome, excellent. So the Jews, they were clearly Ashkenaz because Ashkenaz were just much more rigid with time. If they were Spartan, they would have had no issue with him being a few days late. So he ascends to the mountain, and the Jews miscalculated. It seems to be that they thought they counted, it was actually, they counted 40 days, really it was 39 days. In any event, this fledgling nation, this brand new nation that was just brought out from the lands of Egypt, they have, a, they have an affinity to Moses at this point. He's the one that facilitated the whole exodus. And here he is, he goes up to the mountain. Meanwhile, there's smoke, there's fire, there's all this other stuff. They see that's what's going on up there. And they're waiting, they're like, oh my God, it's 40 days, and where is Moses, right? So what happens? What do they do? Panic, right? So, and you can understand from the mentality of this slave nation that just because, and this is only a couple months later, that from, from the exodus, you can imagine, you didn't break the slave mentality just because you went out. They panic, they go into a mass, into a mass panic. There's mass hysteria. So what happens? So take a look at source number three, taken from Sefer Shemot. When the people saw that Moses was late in coming down from the mountain, the people gathered against Aaron and, they, Aaron, and they said to him, come on, make us gods that will go before us, because this man Moses, who brought us from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So they panic, they go to Aaron, they're like, dude, help us out. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta get something else for us, because we need another mediator. We need someone else who can take Moses' place as the leader to... Keep this journey going and keep us going for the land of Israel. What happens? So Aaron's got a genius idea. What does he say? Aaron said to them, remove the golden earrings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring those earrings to me. He says, fine, I'll do it. Go home, talk with your ladies, get their jewelry, bring it back here, and we'll do something with it. So take a look at Rashi for a second. Rashi says, Aaron said to himself, so what's, what's Aaron's rationale? What is Aaron truly thinking? Right, because Aaron clearly doesn't think that another leader is necessary. He doesn't think that this golden cap is gonna do anything. So what is actually going through Aaron's mind? Aaron said to himself, the women and children are fond of your jewelry. Perhaps the matter will be delayed, and in the meantime, Moses will arrive. So they thought, so Aaron thought, the guys are gonna come home and say, you look fabulous, but I really need those earrings because we need to make this other thing and this other mediary because, because uh, Moses is delayed. And Aaron figures the ladies are going to say, no, I love my jewelry, you bought it, it was an anniversary present, like I can't believe they're going to take it away from me. So the ladies are going to create a little bit of an argument, it's going to delay by a day, and in the interim, Moshe would come back. That was Aaron's idea. What happens in the next, in the, in the next verse, in, in source number five? It says, and all the people stripped themselves of the golden earrings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. So what happens? Let's play the scenario out. So Aaron says, guys, go home and tell your wives you want all the blame, right? All the, everything they have in the house, you're going to take it and you're going to use it for the agal. So what happens? They come. The women say, uh-uh-uh, we're not participating. How do we know that? Because the very next verse says in Hebrew, it's parku kol ha'am, the men themselves were so eager to participate in the agal because they were panicked. They were panicked, rightfully so. We, we give, them, give them a pass. Get out of jail free pass. Because we understand their psyche, we understand their mentality, and they were terrified and panic sets into the nation. So they go and they take whatever they can muster up of their own jewelry and they bring it. Why? Because the wives wouldn't participate. They wouldn't give up their jewelry. Why? Why wouldn't the wives give up their jewelry? Why wouldn't the women give up their jewelry? 
But the way the way it's um, it's actually taken from the word ba'aznehem in their ears, their meaning the men's. So it's, it means it means it's it's a it's a, it's a way of like um, uh, the English translation doesn't always do a fabulous job, but it means that they meaning the men took everything because the word ba'aznehem means in their ears. It means the women didn't participate. When you make a plural out of men and women, don't use hem ending. Um, yes, yeah, so you would you would use hem and hem ending, um, but in this case, this was specifically calling out the men versus the women. And there's actually a pasuk that we'll read later that proves based on something later in Shemot. Excellent, very good question. Any other questions? Okay, so take a look at the Pirkei's Rabbi Eliezer. Pirkei's Rabbi Eliezer says Aaron argued with himself as follows. So he made this. I'm kidding. He's not doing it. Okay, if I say to the men, "Give me silver and gold," they will bring it immediately. Rather, I'll say to them. Give me the rings of your wives and daughters, and the matter will come to nothing. As it said, take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. The women heard this, but they refused to accede to the demand that they hand over their rings to their husbands. They said to their husbands, so the Pirkei Darbielas is reading between the lines, and he's going to continue the narrative. What does he say? We will not listen to you to make an abominable calf that is powerless to save. Therefore, the Holy One, blessed is he, gave them recompense in this world, and they observed the days of Rosh Chodesh, more than the men. He also gave them a reward for the world to come, that they are destined to be rejuvenated like the new moons. So here, the Pirkei Jarmielazer is telling us that this is the source for why women in particular are rewarded with Rosh Chodesh. So we're going to read a few other sources in a second. Let's think about this. What is this idea of Rosh Chodesh? Let's go back to what we know about Rosh Chodesh. Or, yes? Noticing. Kind of making God proud of us for being aware. Right. And this, like, this, exactly, being aware, and it's this whole introduction of this two-way street, this whole introduction, and it's not just about us and what I see, because my perception might not be the whole picture. I know we're human and we think we can see everything, but we can't. So it's not just about what I see that is reality, because it's very possible that the reality I see might be real to me in that moment, but it's not the full picture. It's not the full scope of what actually is. And the women understood that. And they understood that just because things look challenging right now, just because things look dark right now, just because things look difficult right now, doesn't mean that this is the end. It doesn't mean that there isn't a helping hand on the other side to save me. It doesn't mean that this is where I'm meant to die here in the desert because Moses is gone. This can't be the end. So what the women did is that they now took this idea of Rosh Chodesh, this idea of this two-way dimension, this two-way relationship, understanding also that the moon changes shape throughout the month, right? So if I look up at the moon and I see a full moon on the 15th of the month and I come back the next month and I don't know anything about you know the solar system, I could be like, something's happening to the moon, right? It's going away, it's disappearing, right? Because it changes shapes. But we know that it's on a cycle. We know that it's gonna come to be a full moon again. We know that the, that the sky will be bright come the 15th of every single month. 
But guess what? It might be darker at certain points, and it might be brighter at certain points. And the idea is that it will always come full circle. The idea is that it will always be a bright, it will always be bright again. And the women understood that just because this challenge is overtaking me at this moment, just because this is bringing me down and I'm scared and I'm terrified at this moment in time, doesn't mean this is the end. And Rosh Chodesh is the symbol that reminds us of that point exactly, that this is not the end, that we're part and parcel of this whole almost ecosystem, that we have this connection with God, that things are going to go in, 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 in cycles. Things are going to go from challenge to wonderful to difficult to happy to sad to joyous. All of that is part of this ecosystem we call humanity and human beings and human relationships and human dynamic. That's what this is all about. And when we bring God into that element, we infuse an element of faith that is just paramount. It just transcends everything we understand. And the woman said, there's no way. I'm not participating. Because this is not what you see as reality, my dear darling husband. What you see as reality isn't what is. There is something greater. Something more wonderful will come. You just need to have faith. And that's what the women did. That was their contribution in, um, in the situation of the eagle. They didn't participate in terms of the, the monetary or the, in terms of the jewelry. And they said, sit, sit it out. Just, just relax. Hold tight, and this will come. This will come through. So take a look at. We're going to skip source number seven for now, and take a look at source number eight. And as we saw from the Kirkyet Eliezer, he says, "In this world, we are women are rewarded with Rosh Chodesh. So women are rewarded with this idea of the power of time, the power of this two-way dynamic, and the power of understanding that what we see isn't always the reality. But we're also rewarded in the world to come that we too are like the moon." What does that mean? Take a look at the Ors of Ruach in Hilchot Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh is a holiday for women because every month a woman, by immersion in the mikvah, renews her relations with her husband and she becomes endeared to him as on their wedding day. The moon, too, renews itself every month and everyone eagerly awaits its renewal. So women are on a menstrual cycle. So our bodies themselves regenerate every single month. And what happens? There are times during the month where you're not allowed to be sexually intimate with your husband, and there are times in the month where you are allowed to be sexually intimate with your husband. The same way every human relationship works. There are times where it's gonna be really, really strong, and times where you need to separate, and times where you need a little bit of your own space and a little bit of distance. And this is also reminiscent of our relationship with God. There are times where we're not gonna feel this overwhelming presence because it feels really dark and it feels really scary and it feels really traumatic and there's something really challenging. There's gonna be times where that might be the case. For example, like in the case of the Agel, the men step back and they said, I don't feel God right now. I don't feel divinely inspired right now. I feel like there's something missing in my life right now. But what happens? Just as the women's physical body is almost in the same cycle as the moon, it goes through this, this, uh, this regeneration. It goes through literally a rebirth every single month. Yes? Yeah, in a way, do you, do you think that um, like femininity almost symbolizes like a, the utmost faith Absolutely. in God? Because it's literally ingrained in us. It's almost like linking femininity to like just an inbred... Uh, there is basically that's exactly like it. There is on the most metaphysical, on the most physical and metaphysical level, our bodies are doing what the universe does. It's unbelievable when you think about just the power of the individual. My thoughts, what I think, what I feel, what's happening inside my body. Whether it's not conscious, it's ha I'm standing and it's happening. Things are happening We're inside like of me. Innately faithful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, that's exactly that's it. Our bodies know that it's going to come full circle. It knows. 
So that we almost have it a little easier. <laughs> we do. Well, in that case, you know, just if it's actually interesting. The earrings and the, it's like that they almost are more faithful than the men. If there's a Actually, natural, exactly, there's a natural connection. So you know how everybody always says women are more are more spiritual and men are. It's true. Women are more spiritual. Yes. Um, I, like I, I don't. Um, <coughs> this is like a, I think one of the main reasons why like men have more. I mean, it is one of the main reasons why men have more like halachot or obligations mm -hmm. to fulfill because they're not as spiritually connected and they're obviously more in the physical realm in you know in the big picture so they need more things to link them back to spirituality like dominating praying three times mm -hmm. a day or right. um, all of the other things that That's exactly that right. women do because of like even like like shamanigia uh, or you know all these are not touching or all mm -hmm. these other things like it's based on the fact that men need more of an upliftment of spirituality. Absolutely, and the, and men and this is totally not like a male bashing. Right, right. We're not right. <laughs> men are wonderful. And men are great. But um, the idea also is that is that men need structure. They need structure and times of day that are specifically mandated to do X, Y, and Z because that helps facilitate this idea of concretizing the idea of God. Women don't need that at all. And in fact, women are exempt from time bound mitzvot. So mitzvot that have some type of time relation to it, women don't have to do those mitzvot. Why? Because we're innately connected. There's an intuition, there's a depth of faith and understanding that, that it, again, it transcends human existence and it, it parallels something on such a deep level and such a profound level that we're, we're not necessarily mandated by the same structure, by the same mandate of halakot. It's a very good point. Yeah, just to, it's almost a, a terrible to think of it as an obligation though. Because it, I don't, I, I feel like that was like put on it afterwards. Like it, at the time, like that's just what they need. Like we are lucky enough that we yeah. have it. That this is actually just what they found they needed to yeah. do exactly. in order to get on that level. So I, I don't know that it's necessarily an obligation. I think it's just it, it has to be. Yeah, they would want to do it. Absolutely. So way before like Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus was written, like God knew this. So yeah. God knew that like men are gonna need a certain a certain direction, a certain set of, of laws to help them facilitate a direction yeah, like of evolution, deep understanding. Almost, like, it's exactly right. That's exactly beings, right. Yeah, this one will need this and this. That's exactly right. Exactly right. And what happens is for us, and we'll talk about this in a second, every Rosh Chodesh has a very unique quality and characteristic to it. And everyone is different. Not because, like, People Magazine put their horoscopes and tells us what month is what. Not because of that, not related to that at all. But there is a quality to every single one of the months. And we'll talk about the quality of this particular month and what we can actually take out of it. So um, let's take a look at source number nine for a second, and, and we'll, we'll wrap up from here. Source number nine. This is later on, after the story of the Agel, during the dedication of the tabernacle. So what happens is, after the after Har Sinai, after the Jewish people get the Torah, um, God says, I want you to create a home for me. Because I don't want to be lofty up in the mountains. I want a place where I can live among you. What is that place where God lives among us? Ultimately, that becomes the temple. But when they're on the go, and they need a travel edition, so they're going to live, so we, they created the tabernacles. The Jewish people... Um, um, led by Batzalo, create, create the tabernacle. Is that the Mishkan? Yes, exactly. It's Mishkan in Hebrew is tabernacle, and Mikdash in Hebrew is the temple. Exactly right. So what happens is the Jewish people are called and said, who wants to participate in the building of the tabernacle? Guess who raises their hand first? Women. There we go. Source number nine. 
The word, and again, I'll read it in Hebrew because the English translation is not accurate. It says, ha-anashim al-hanashim, which, which means in Hebrew, the men came after the women. So who led the charge? The women. And what did they do? What did they bring? Earrings, rings, buckles, golden objects, all of those things that they didn't donate to the Egel, they were willing to donate to the Mishka because one could argue that the women didn't give their jewelry because maybe they just really loved their jewelry. And it wasn't about belief in God, it was just about, uh-uh, I'm not, getting, I'm not giving that up. When it came to giving it up, to, for a place that was able to concretize God's existence in our physical world, who was first? The women, because they understood what they were giving to. They were giving to something that would facilitate God's physical presence amongst the community and amongst the camp of the Jewish people. That's amazing. That's amazing. So when it came to this idea of how do we find ways of bringing God into my life, bringing God into my existence, when it came to that, they were first in line. And there was nothing holding, there nothing holding them back. All the jewelry they ever had, they, they, gave, they gave immediately to this call. I saw hands. Yeah, oh yes. Actually, go, go ahead. Okay, um, was building the Mishkan kind of tshuva in, for building the Egel, or is it not really considered that? There, there are many different interpretations about whether a Mishkan was ideal, whether that was initially how it was meant to be, or whether it was as a result of the Egel. There are different philosophies um, about what the, what the approach was, but in essence, though, it was a way to physically concretize the idea that God is with us. So, very good question. Yeah? Why does it say the men went first and the women, and the women after the women? Why would it just say, like, the women led and then the men came? Like, so, excellent question. So the Ramban actually talks about that. The terminology is very interesting. In, in Torah, there's actually a methodology and study to Torah that delves into literally every letter and every word. That there's a rhyme and reason and purpose and intention with how every single word kind of plays into it, into the general, into the general verse and to the general concepts in the Torah. So the terminology is very unique because um, in, in, other, in other areas it would say that they came together, one came first. It says al hanashim, which means literally like on the backs of. So it's almost like they were harnessing the power of the nation. It was all on the shoulders of the women. So that's the image that the Torah wants us to walk away with. It's not just that the women were like, okay, well, hey, we're here first and we're gonna do this first. It wasn't about, it wasn't about like battle, you know, battle who was gonna get to the, get to the line first. It was vayivo hanashim al hanashim. The women were the ones carrying this, this idea of coming forth to God in a way that we can concretize his existence within our physical world. And they were like, you gotta come on this. Come on, get on the bandwagon. So that's the image that's meant to conjure up in our minds. Great question. Any other questions? Okay, so we know Rosh Hashanah is exceedingly important for the nation as we get out of the land of Egypt, and that's this week's Torah portion. That as we get out of the land of Egypt, God says, I'm creating, creating an equalizer for you. Number one, it is evenly distributed, and you have now the opportunity to learn what it means to use your time. That's number one. Number two is God is introducing the idea of a two-way street. It's not just about what I'm going to tell you. I want your involvement. I want your participation. I want you to tell me when the holidays are. I want you to participate. I want your growth, and I want your initiative as part of our relationship. That's the other part of Rosh Chodesh. And again, why women? Because women understood the power of the moon, the power of the cycle, both as manifest in our physical bodies and also as manifest in our faith. That we know that we're going to go through times of darkness, and we're going to go through times of pain, and we're going to go through times of challenge, and we're going to go through times of when we're really uninspired. And that's okay, because it's all part of this process. And when we realize it's all part of this greater process, 
but we realize also that it involves human giving, it involves our intervention, it involves our initiative. Once we start to really piece those together, we unlock the most magical and most unbelievable profound relationship known to, known to, any, known to any, anyone, to all humankind, and that's this relationship that we have with God. And it's amazing because in, uh, in the book of Genesis, it tells, it tells us that God breathed a breath of himself into our soul, and that's what human beings are created from. It means that the more we get to know ourselves, the more we get to know God. And that relationship, again, unlocks each other. As you were saying before, we're both, we're both unlocking each other's potential at the same time. And it's hard to think about, you know, because God is all perfect and God is all knowing. How do we unlock, how do we bring a dimension to God? Because we do. Because without us, God can't be God. And without God, we can't, we can't be us. It involves, it involves something too. Wait, I need my kids to be a mom. I'm not a mom without my kids. That's just how it works. I, don't, I can't take on that role without the other party. God can't take on that role. God himself cannot not unlock the potential without the other party. And the other party is us. And the other party within the, the nation of us is women. And that ability that we have to be able to tap into something so unique and so profound. Yeah. And um, I have a question. It's not to be like a like a, like a nerd, but it says basically like um, what am I even saying? <laughs> Hold on one second. I have a dream. You can ask me. Okay. Thanks. Go for it. But it's also <laughs> super important to like not, not think of Hashem as us doing him a favor because in the end. Correct. He, there's a balance, absolutely true, Abs- and that's very, very important. God is God, so like, and exactly, God is God, and we're dealing with. I mentioned this before. We're dealing with infinite versus finite. We're already on different, different playing fields. There, it, there's, there will be a natural lack of understanding, a natural distance that's there because one is finite and one is infinite. There's no question, but that doesn't mean that we can't use human potential to bridge that gap as much as we can. You know, it's very interesting. I just read an article in the New York Times about um, about the idea of meaning. And that meaning is very dangerous because meaning, M-E-A-N-I-N-G, meaning. Because what I find meaningful and really inspiring, if that stops being meaningful to me, then I stop doing it. At the end of the day, whether I choose to find meaning in my relationship with God or not, I gotta do it anyway. Or that's again, I, I can choose not to do it or to do it, but my relationship with God exists whether I choose to tap into that or not. I think that's what, is that the point you were trying to yeah, make? Yeah, and it's just like, one of your points before, like it reminded me of like what I learned, like you can study and you can learn on your own, and you can kind of like feel ignite, yeah. so to speak of Judaism, but like when you really start to focus and you, for example, start to say like the Shimona Esrei, you're more of a cruise ship than a rowboat. Right. Right. And there's different approaches. Like different different things will speak to speak to, to different people at different times. Um, so it's not like one. There's not a one size fits all. And that's the beauty of the halachic system and the beauty of the Jewish value system is that it is not a one size fits all. There's a system and a mechanism, and we're constantly on. We're on a journey for the rest of our lives 
on searching and on growing and on evolving and adapting and changing and making meaningful. So, and we have the structure within which to do that. Once you step outside the structure, it's a whole different story. It's not Judaism. It can be Rachelism or it can be whatever, something else. But the, the idea is that we are, we are encompassed and encased within the Jewish legal and, and value system, which is what we know as the Torah. We can find meaning within that, or we can choose not to find meaning within that. That's just shame on us, and we're missing out on something. But we're bound, we're bound by that relationship. Does, yeah. Does it, it, is the Torah ever saying to us, you will never get to a particular level and that's okay, or is it saying that at all? Just like, I, I understand the meaning of like, surf, like a, there's always a higher. Yeah, it's kind of like keep swimming, like in Finding Nemo, like just, just keep, keep going swimming. up. Yeah, but yeah, I just feel like that. That if I looked at it that way, I would give up. Maybe, like not me, but like maybe I would give up because I would feel like I'm just forever trying to achieve something un unachievable. What, what, meaning what? Meaning the, you know, I just, I guess I'm taking from the word like serve or, yeah, no, that's the only word, take. Mm -hmm. Like serving something, it takes away from, like, so like could it, again, and this is supposed to be a question, I'm not even saying, what? It's supposed to also be that eat it up. When you serve yourself, it's like yeah. you become a better, it's the best version of yourself. Right, of course. I guess I just don't. Yeah. Right, and again, there's different the 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 terminology and the vernacular can change. Yeah, I think I, I've been, uh, it might be the I word "serve" that's not sitting that's not sitting well. Right. It might be it might, there's there's different things. I mean, listen. There's also there are three they're kind of three pillars um, in in human existence, and, and, and as viewed um, as viewed through the through the Jewish perspective, there's. There's um, what's called Bein Adam Makom, which means between man and God. Bein Adam Rov, which is between man and man. And Bein Adam Atzmo, between man and himself. So they're kind of looking at those three pillars. There is a constant growth movement happening, sometimes simultaneously with all three. Sometimes you're more focused on one pillar than the other. So it's a constantly shifting dynamic. Yeah, just to link it all back together, I think a great word instead of service is actually thank. Yeah. To just be ever grateful. Yes. For sure, and part and parcel of that absolutely. And again, Rosh Chodesh, it's specifically femininity feeds into that into that exact point. Yes, um, I just had a question about like, and again, like not to be like Nigeria or like so <laughs> pin, pinpointy. Go um, for it. Yeah, but I like the whole concept of like that you're made in the image of Hashem and that you're like compartmentalized of a soul, which is kind of like the breath of God and like whatever metaphorically and dirt, which is your body, and you're supposed to work simultaneously together to you know, elevate your, um, your, your body is the, the, the mobile, um, vehicle in which you can use your soul to elevate and mm -hmm. do, do spirituality. So, um, I'm wondering where do you find your individuality in between the idea that you kind of, your soul is kind of just God, like, you, you, and you are individual because you have your idea of free will and that's mm -hmm. understandable, but it kind of, it's interesting because you're saying it's this, it's, like this connection between Hashem and you, but your soul is kind of Hashem, so it's kind of connection right. between himself with himself. Right, but God, we again we attribute certain human and human character traits. But why why does my individuality? Why does the fact that I'm created in the image of God affect my individuality? I'm saying like because like when God, oh, I guess because I feel like when God breathes, because you're a piece of God. I guess because right. I think of your soul as a as a piece of God. Right. So like I'm just saying like if it's a connection then like it kind of just seems like right. like are you so then in, in essence you're just part of so yeah so God. excellent question so let's bring it to human terms for a second children of parents 
are created by those two parents. There won't be any children that will look exactly alike. Their personalities will be different, and they are from the exact same breed. They're from the from the same from the, it doesn't so it doesn't take away your individuality just because you're from the same source. Okay. That doesn't negate my my ability to to search for who I am as an as an individual and unlock my human potential because my human potential is going to be different than everyone else's even though we are all created different in the parts of God. Okay, because it's, it's tapping and into different even things you don't understand. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Exactly right. You know what I was thinking about the color white. Go back to like sixth grade science. What's the color white? Every single color. Excellent. Color. It's the presence of all colors, and black is the absence of all colors. So white, if you, and I'm, I'm sure guys all did the science, because I'm a little older than you, but you know where you like take a wheel and you spin it really quickly? You guys, I'm sure, please tell me you did this. Science, sixth grade, fine. So you spin it really quickly, and it's the presence of, so what might look like white, and you're like, oh, we're all white, that's great, but no, we're, we're all, all, we're all part of something greater, because God, if God encompasses all of it, then we're all going to have different. You're tapping into your pieces. element of the individual Correct. heart of God within, but you Correct. don't even know what parts you're exactly using. fifteen different colors. Exactly, okay. and it changes because <laughs> and it changes because individual circumstances. You'll have people that will go through situations in life where they thought that they were a certain kind of person, and you realize you're not. You know, you realize you know I I I'm you know I'm easygoing and nothing gets to me, and then all of a sudden you find out that you're a big ball of stress when when <laughs> something when something hits that you weren't expecting, and all of a sudden you do have anxiety and you do need to see that psychologist, right? So all of a sudden you realize <laughs> yeah. that all of those things just because a situation will hit, a challenge will hit, um, you'll meet someone in your life that you're like it knocks you off your feet, and you're like I didn't. That's that's like the classic story with me and my husband. He I had. If you ask me to paint a picture of what I would marry, he is the last person on earth. And I, and I say this with love, we're married nine and a half years. But he's the last person I would have expected. But it was so, it throws you off your game. You're like, oh, hey, I can, I can be, I can, I'm going to find a whole new side of myself because I didn't even know that this was part of me. Yeah. So challenges and relationships and family situations and job and work and, all, and, and religious involvement, all of that will shape us as we as we find ourselves, as we carve ourselves out. Part of what, like Hallie was saying before, sorry, just one last point, Elizabeth, you can go right after. She was saying it's like, the, it's, it's kind of like this connection between the finite and the infinite and understanding that there's always some kind of infinite connection or like little piece of the framework, like understanding like the brain. Like right. you understand in essence how it works, but mm -hmm. understanding exactly how anything and timing blah, blah, blah works. Like your connection, there's some kind of crazy thing going on up there that you're not understanding absolutely. in the okay. absolutely and that's, the and, that, that, and that's exactly it. right and you all know this because you'll be you'll have experiences now that if those experiences happened in the past or you'll look back and be like whoa I totally thought I handled that well right but I didn't or I really thought that I was I was really mature for my age because I did X, Y, and Z, right? And then you look back and you're like, I can't believe I thought that was mature because now I'm really mature. And then in 10 years, you're going to look back and look at this now. So even with that, there's this all, it's this constant, constant growth and constant sense of, of forward moving. Yes, did you, did you yes. ask? So I guess my question is, this is like, so it's like also brilliant, but like on a more practical level mm -hmm. for, for like Rosh Hodesh, like are there anything? that like for us like growing that like you recommend like certain prayers we say, certain like rituals we do, like obviously for, we're like many of us are not married yet, so like we can't do mikvahs, but like right. like what uh, like what do you like what do you think we should like do Great to make it more meaningful for us? Right, because it has to be practical, right? Because all of these ideas are very lofty and fabulous, but how how does it get practical? Number one, there's something called what's in Hebrew it's called Kashbon Hanefesh, which means an evaluation and accounting of the soul. Every night before I put my kids to, to bed. I, um, I sit with them and I say, give me three things that you're really proud of yourself 
about today, they give me one thing that you really want to try harder on tomorrow. And they do it. And they and because I want them to become familiar with self-reflection on, on a daily basis. Because it's really good to know when you're in the moment. I remember oh, this is like a horrible feeling playing in the story. Horrible story. I was in the subway, um, the four or five from the Upper East Side, worst train to take during rush hour, but whatever. It's the one I have to take. And I was running down, I was totally late for a meeting, and there was a woman with a stroller. That was um, that was actually coming coming up. It was on the it was on uh, getting out at World Trade Center, and so I was helping her up, and um, I was like, "Oh yeah, I'll help you. I'm such a nice person, right? I'm gonna help you up." And I helped her to the platform, and I was like, "I really have to go." And I was like, "Do I help her the whole way out? Like, do I take the extra 35 seconds and help her?" And this was like, I, I was like standing. I'm like, I know I'm wasting time thinking about this, but <laughs> if I leave, I'm gonna be, you know, I might make it just for my meeting. If I help her, I'm gonna be late for my meeting, but I'm gonna feel really gross about myself if I walk into that meeting. So it's this idea of being so aware of yourself that e that those decisions are happening in real time and not it's, you're not missing a beat. So for me, how I look at Rosh Chodesh is this idea of Cheshbon HaNefesh, which is an evaluation of the soul, almost similar to Rosh Hashanah, that you, that you sit and, and maybe write down what are, my, what are my goals for the month? What's, you know, what, what, what do I find really meaningful for myself? And am I devoting enough time to that? Um, are there aspects of my relationship with a significant other that I really want to work on? What are the qualities I want to find in a significant other? So there are all of these, I would say like, for me, an accounting of the soul, there can't be a way to be closer to yourself than through an accounting of the soul. It's an inventory, right? So I work, again, it's a shopping center development, I work in re right, so retail. So it's all about inventory. If you, if you miss your inventory, your business is, your business is shot. So you have to know about every skew, every piece of every piece of inventory, what what's happening at every moment. And the more we are aware of ourselves, the more we connect with God because we are creating image. So it's so funny because sometimes you're like, I want to feel, I want to feel, I want to feel. And really, when you do the really tough stuff, which is putting up a mirror and looking inside, that's the hard part. When you do go through that exercise and that work, you start to uncover and you feel a level of, of satisfaction and of closeness that is a natural evolution from that process. So when you go, it's like refining. So you go through it and you sit with it because it's very hard when you first ask yourself, what do I want to work on? I really want to go to the gym. <laughs> I know that that's something I really want to do. Okay, let's get beyond that, not just the gym. What is it, what, what is it? Like, let's let's pick up, is it is it learning? Is it devoting time to chesed, um, you know, to, to helping someone else? Is it tzedakah? Is it making time to reach out to a family member that I don't really get along with so well and I'm gonna make it my business to be the bigger person and to go out there and, and just and just be there for that other person. So there are all these things that we can start to do in baby steps. And then if we look at the power of what each month gives us, it gives us the opportunity to renew that part of ourselves and <coughs> renew that aspect of our relationship with God. So I think like to me, um, this idea of accounting of the soul, there's actually a book called Cheshbon HaNefesh which, help, which helps kind of guide. It's, it's um, guide and help, you know, give almost the vocabulary because sometimes you don't even know where to start. So. I know, like yesterday, everybody had off, right, from, from work or whatever. I was so overwhelmed with a day off, I didn't even know where to start. I don't know if that happens to anyone ever, where you're like, oh my god, I have so much to do, but I don't know what to do, so I don't know what, I'm just going to go take a nap, right? Like, I just, <laughs> I'm so overwhelmed, and I don't know what to do, I'm going to just, right? We all know what that feels like, and that can, that can when you talk about growth and and evolving ourselves and feeling close with God and feeling close with our human, our, our, the human relationships that we have in our lives, um, it's really hard. It's hard to, like, Start, start carving out like what that what that performance process looks like. So think about it. It's like a performance review. So you know, your did you was it on time and on budget, right? So what does on time and on budget look like in the spiritual realm? What does it look like on an individual realm? So um, I think Cheshbon and Nefesh is a very is a very good tool to use. Excellent question. But what I want to do is wrap up with 
what the power of this month is. So not just walk out of the room tonight, hopefully with an understanding of what of what Rosh Chodesh is, what the potential is to unlock it in Rosh Chodesh in terms of our relationship with God. Not just that, not just on top of that, this is a special opportunity for women every single month, but what about this month? So it's Rosh Chodesh Shvat. Is it just Chodesh? Sorry. Shvat. Is it, sorry, right tonight and tomorrow? Tonight and tomorrow, exactly. And I'm sorry, we're we're like going over. Um, Yes, tonight and tomorrow, exactly, Rosh Chodesh Shvat, exactly right. So there's a holiday this month called Tu Bishvat, which is actually taking place on the 15th of the month of Shvat. We know that tonight is Rosh Chodesh because that's our human involvement, that's our human participation, and um, and our human partnership. And in 15 days from now, we're going to celebrate the holiday of Tu B'Shvat. Does anybody know what Tu B'Shvat is? Eat lots of fruit. Eat lots of fruit. Yes, we do. Which, which actually, ironically enough, is all like dried fruit that we get from Turkey, which is just hilarious. But that's how we celebrate, and that's a totally different thing. So, all right, so we're going to ce- we celebrate by eating fruit. So, what is Tu B'Shvat? Tu B'Shvat is a celebration of trees. Ra ra, go green. We're celebrating trees. What is that all about? Take a look at source number 11, and then we'll wrap up with, uh, with this idea. This is taken from the Mishnah in Masechet, or from the Gemara in Masechet Rosh Hashanah. There are four new years. On the first of Nisan is a new year for kings and festivals. So that's when we count, um, for example, in the Torah, it doesn't tell us the month of Nisan or Tishrei. It says the seventh month or the eighth month. So we begin counting from a, from a holiday perspective, um, we begin counting from Nisan, which is around the time, and usually April time, except for last year when it was, no, it wasn't the last year. On the first of Elul is the new year for the tithe of cattle. The first of Elul, um, so is, is a certain type of, um, a certain type of masa, or a certain type of, of giving that we, that we give in the time of the temple, so it's not relevant for now. Rabbi Elazar and Rabbi Shimon, however, place this on the first petition. Shocker, this is a disagreement between two rabbis and the Gemara. On the first of Tishrei is the new year for years, for release of Jubilee years, and that is when, that's the Rosh Hashanah that we celebrate, that we know, and it's the high holiday season. And I'm skipping to the last line. On the first of Shabbat is the, is the new year for trees, according to the ruling of Beit Shammai. Beit Hillel, however, plays on the 15th of that month. So there is, it's, a, it's called Rosh Hashanah Le'ilanot. It is actually considered the new year, the new year for trees. So why? So two things we're going we're to talk about. Number one, if you look at a tree in the dead of winter, what do you see? Just the actual tree, not the leaves. Not, right, nothing. It's, a, it's essentially nothing. It's blank. There's no life to it. And what do we do? We take the dead of winter, the coldest, pretty much the coldest month of the year, more or less, and we look at something and we see potential in it. Because what's happening inside the tree? I can't see it from the outside. What's happening inside the tree? starting to bud. You have activity, activity that's happening in the in the dirt, activity that's happening in the trunk. It's starting to it's starting to breathe again. It's starting to have life back again. When do we specifically celebrate that? Do we celebrate it when we start to see buds? No. We celebrate the activity of potential. We celebrate the idea that we're going to be celebrating the fruit that's going to be coming from the from that tree in the future. It's not celebrating what's happening today. It's celebrating what I hope will happen tomorrow. It's faith that this will bring forth something tomorrow. So the idea um, is that this Rosh Chodesh in particular, that if we look at what we're celebrating, we're celebrating rejuvenation, we're celebrating renewal, and we're celebrating at, celebrating it at a time of challenge, in a time of darkness. This is the darkest time of darkest time of year, right? It's the worst thing when you leave work at five o'clock and it's dark outside, right? So we all know this is literally the darkest time of year, and you look at a tree and you say that tree is dead. That would, be, that would be your first instinct. Be like, there's no leaves, there's no life to it. But we know that there is life to it. I'm not going to see it today, similar to Rosh Chodesh, 
similar to the egg out. I might be really challenged today. It might seem like things are really difficult today, but there's something brewing inside. There's something happening inside. There's something potential. There's something about that potential that's becoming activated in this moment right now, and I'm going to see literally the fruits of that labor later on. And um, I just want to finish up with this Midrash Rabbah. And I apologize because the, um, the font came out kind of funky. But it says there's a, there's a verse in the book of Deuteronomy that says that man should stick to God. It says, it talks about the word, um, it's, um, so to, to stick to God. And the Midrash Rabbah asks a question. He says, Is it possible that a man can chase HaKadosh Baruch Hu, can chase God and all of a sudden stick? to God? Is it possible? And, the, and the, uh, the Midrash goes on to say that what was the first interaction with God in the Garden of Eden, with God and, and Adam? It says, and God planted in Gan Eden. So God took man, placed him in Gan Eden, and what did he do? He planted a tree. He planted the idea of, human, of potential. He planted the idea that leaves will fall off and leaves will come back. Fruit will be, and then fruit will die. And also, especially with fruit trees also, um, you can plant a fruit tree and you might not see the fruits of your labor. It might be the next generation that'll be able to reap the benefits of that fruit. So what I plant today, I might not necessarily even be able to benefit from, but it's, setting, it's, it's literally laying the groundwork for the future. So every part of what I do has an impact in the greater world. It has an impact in the terms of my greater relationship with God. And, um, and, I, and I wish for all of us, and I hope for all of us, that that this Rosh, Hashanah, this Rosh Chodesh in particular, that we not only realize, number one, the juxtaposition of the Yemei HaShovavim, which are the days in which we find ourselves, this, these days that uncover really the profile of everything that we will ever face in our lives, that we will be able to tap back into these six weeks to find the answers we need to conquer any challenge we have, and to understand that Rosh Chodesh was given during these Yemei HaShovavim. Rosh Chodesh was given at a time where we are becoming something, where we, where we are evolving and we're growing, going from the yacht, going from the yachid to the yachad, going from the individual to the sense of collective. We're going through that transition, we're going through that process, and Rosh Chodesh is really the vehicle that helps us achieve this two-way dynamic in terms of our relationship with God. It helps us concretize and bring God into our existence and in turn elevate our existence to be able to share in this profound relationship with God. And then what do we layer on top of that? It's not just all of those amazing things, but we as women have the power to unlock really the most unbelievable, profound relationship with God through our relationship with God, through our relationship with Rosh Chodesh. And again, particularly in this month where we may be facing individual challenges and realizing and remembering through, the, um, through really the messages and the beauty that's embedded within this month, that what we're going to celebrate is tomorrow, and what we're going to celebrate is potential. What we're going to celebrate is that something might look challenging, something might look dead today, but to know and to believe that it will bring forth fruit, it will blossom and bring uh, inspiration and bring um, the idea and the opportunity to, to concretize and to synergize the spiritual and the physical, and that is really something that we as women have the opportunity to unlock in ourselves and for each other. Exactly. Yeah, literally. Because it's, it was it's, it's yeah, actually just a visual, physical, Correct. symbol of the faith that we have inside. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. Any questions? Or not? And feel free to come to you privately also. Thank you guys so much for having me. Right. Thank, 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 thank you. And Robert will be back next week. Yes. Um, also, okay, so two things you may or may not know. One is, um, those of you who have not used what's called your M2 voucher, I don't know if you ever heard of that, it's a free ticket to Israel to learn for a minimum of three weeks or do a trip, like a, an Israel trip. 
Seoul can give you a free ticket to Israel if you do, I think it's 12 classes over a whole six month period. It does not have to be consecutive. 12 classes plus two Shabbatons. If you if you do that collectively, we can give you a free ticket to Israel if you haven't already used what's called an N2 voucher, which is awesome to know. And number two is uh, if you've ever thought of going to Israel to learn, uh, to a school particularly called Midrash Rachel, which is a known, very popular school there. Rabbi Manning from Midrash Rachel is, is here and is going to be here on Monday, February 2nd in the Carlton to meet with whoever wants to know more information and also to give a mini class so you get a taste of it. So even if you're not sure but you're wanting to check it out, he'll be here. He's amazing. He's an amazing rabbi, amazing speaker, and he, he's really, really good to talk to about Midrash Rachel. So between the two, we could actually get you to meet someone from the school and get you to Israel like for free. So, <laughs> You have to let me know because like we're, we're booking. I put it on Facebook if all of you are in the group. Yeah. What was that date of that really cool class with the beatbox fitness? And Body and soul. Body and soul. What's the date of that? March eighth. And the time. March eighth, guys. Sunday, March eighth. And the time. Should all sign time. Up. What time works for you on a Sunday? Really, truly, that you would come and like work out. Five p.m. That's what I thought. I thought five p.m. Yeah. Is that good? Yeah. So you could have like early workout, then we do early post dinner. Brunch. Post brunch. You said this Monday. Post yeah. brunch. Monday, Monday February second. Yeah. Or you could have brunch. Morning workout. March eighth. Morning workout on a Sunday. No one's coming on a Sunday morning. Okay. Afternoon workout. Can you guys come to this? Afternoon. Afternoon.